We conclude our examination of the Ninth Commandment today, and it's been a number of weeks, perhaps months, since I went through the mnemonic device for us to remember the Ten Commandments, and so I'd just like quickly to go through that and to see what you remember. One rhymes with those of you who may not be familiar with this. What we're trying to do is attach rhymes to the numbers of the commandments, and by means of those rhymes, remember which commandment goes with which number. Not so that we remember their order, although that's important, but more so that we are able to remember what they are. What rhymes with one? (laughs) Would you quit making noise? (laughs) That's his own device. (laughs) Okay, one rhymes with one, and then... What does that mean the first commandment is? Thou shalt. Okay. No other gods before me. You think of running. And someone ahead of you. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Two rhymes with zoo. And when you think of the zoo, what do you think of? Animals. Beasties. And therefore, the second commandment is, right, thou shalt not worship um, or bow down, make make or bow down, well, how does it go? Right. That's two. What rhymes with three? And what do you think of when you think of a tree? Falling, right? It falls down on your foot. And you don't say what you might say, so the third commandment is... Right. Do not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. What rhymes with four? Door. And you think of the church door, and therefore the fourth commandment is... Right. Now, can you say the rest of it? That one is a long one. It goes on and on. Thou shalt not, on it, you shall not do any work, neither you nor your, and the the list goes on and on. Five. What rhymes with five? Hive. Right. When you think of a hive, you think of what? Bees. Good. Yep. Your parents said, don't go near that hive. And therefore, the fifth commandment is great. Six rhymes with sticks. And what do you use? Well, what did they used to use sticks for a long time ago? (laughs) Now we use guns. Therefore, the sixth commandment is thou shalt not commit murder. Seven, well, this is the one that... Seven, heaven, God sees whatever you do, therefore seven is, I shall not commit adultery. Eight, what rhymes with eight? Great gate. And when you think of it, you think of someone else's gate, right? Therefore, the eighth commandment is, thou shall not steal. Now, nine, just sort of a sloppy rhyme, lying. Nine lying. We don't even have to go through those devices for this one. So let's hear from God's word. 
how it's put shortly and simply. Exodus 20, verse 16, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Let's pray. Dear Father, as we come to your word together this morning, we desire to be humble and to be humbled by you, that your word might have its desired effect, that it might not return from us null and void, but instead accomplish that cleansing that is necessary to make us more and more so that we grow in holiness. Teach us what it means to be people who are truthful, full of integrity. Teach us how to avoid giving false testimony and help us to be honest and faithful as you are honest and faithful. And I pray that my words would be faithful in keeping with your word because your word alone is true. In Jesus' name, amen. Several, I don't know how many of you get the, um, the, the little, I don't know what you would call it, little um, newsletter or whatever called Imprimus from Hillsdale College. How many of you get that or see that? Okay, some of you do at least. Um, <laughs> what it is is um, it's a reprint of various people, excerpts from the, the talks or the speeches that they give at Hillsdale College. And recently they had one that was excellent regarding this subject, the Ninth Commandment. And it was written or spoken by a man, a rabbi named Joseph Telushkin. One of the stories that he told in it was of a 19th century Jewish folktale. It tells of a man who went through a small community slandering the rabbi. One day, feeling suddenly remorseful, he begged the rabbi for forgiveness and offered to undergo any form of penance to make amends. The rabbi told him to take a feather pillow from his home, cut it open, and scatter the feathers to the wind. The man did as he was told and returned to the rabbi. He asked, Am I forgiven now? Almost, came the response. You just have to do one last thing. Go and gather all the feathers. But that's impossible, the man protested, for the wind has already scattered them. Precisely, the rabbi answered. That's a short and succinct story that tells exactly what we're dealing with when we're dealing with the Ninth Commandment. There are many forms of false testimony. All of them are harmful and damaging. You have an insert in your bulletin if you would like to look at the main points regarding this. What I've done is I have outlined various aspects of false testimony from the most damaging, those things that we would recognize, the things that we think of first when we think of false testimony and lying, are intentional ruinous lies They're categorized under the law as slander and libel. These are the sorts of things that you can go into court and get a judgment against other people for doing. We are all aware that these fall under false testimony. But the list and what is included under false testimony goes much farther than that. False testimony does not just include those things that I say about someone else or someone else says about me. False testimony also includes lies. 
Many people use false testimony in the form of direct lies as a way to stop others from talking. Many people use it to intimidate people, whether as enemies or as false friends. There's an excellent story in Nehemiah, which Nehemiah was trying to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And he knew that he had enemies who were trying to use false testimony to stop him. His enemies were reporting that he was um, revolting against Cyrus, the king of Babylon, and he was trying to rebuild Israel and take it away from the, the domain of Babylon. Well, <coughs> this was not true, and yet it was having its desired effect. Nehemiah kept ignoring it and going on. Now that's an example of an enemy, his enemies, this the people of Samaria trying to stop the work rebuilding Jerusalem. But there were also people who were his friends who were doing the same thing in terms of false testimony. There was a man who was told of in Nehemiah 6.10 whose name is Shemaiah. And what he said to Nehemiah is, come to my house, I have to talk with you about something. And so Nehemiah came to his house And he said to Nehemiah, I understand that things are not going well. I understand that they're going to attack us and that we will not be able to withstand the the people of uh, Samaria as they come, the Arabs and, and the Jews who were left behind who intermarried as they come and attack us. And so my suggestion is you, you would just better hide in the inner room in my house because they're going to come and they're going to get us and they're going to kill you. Well, this had its desired effect for the time in which he was telling it. Nehemiah immediately realized that here was a man who was presenting himself as a friend, who was using false testimony in order to destroy Nehemiah and the Lord's work. Because Nehemiah knew that if he took this man's false testimony, that it would not only make him give in to fear, but it would also put all the forces that God had brought to work on Jerusalem into disarray. The work would not go on. That's something that we recognize. Often false testimony can come by someone who we consider as a friend. False testimony also includes mockery or laughing at others. An example of this is found in Acts chapter 2, verse 13. Do you remember when the, 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 the believers were filled with the Holy Spirit? And they went outside and they started speaking in tongues. And there were people who heard them. And, and what did they say? They're drunk. Was it nine or ten in the morning? These guys are drunk. Do you see them? They're making fools of themselves. They're drunk. That's an example of mockery or laughing at others being false testimony. Gossip is also false testimony. Gossip is often a sin of power, which the gossiper seeks to use evidence that he or she has, whether it's true or false, whether it's gleaned from observation or from hearsay, to raise himself up while at the same time lowering others so that his power will be increased. Now, it doesn't matter whether or not it's true. Gossip is a sin of false testimony that results in harm to others. It comes about frequently through people having too much time on their hands. There's an example of this spoken of in 1 Timothy 5.11. It's talking about 
what the younger widows should do. As for younger widows, do not put them on such a list as as women who are leaders in the church. For when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge, which would have been to remain unmarried and serve within the body of Christ. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things they ought not to. So gossip is something that comes about frequently because people have too much time on their hands and they don't know how to spend it wisely and in a worthwhile way. It can seem innocent, but it isn't. Often it's the betrayal of a confidence. Our sharing something that was told to us privately, which we have no right or business telling to another. <clears throat> Proverbs 11.13 expresses this. A gossip betrays a confidence. It can also come about through people simply not watching the gates of their mouths. It's so easy to get caught in this. For any one of us, for all people, Oftentimes we simply don't know what's appropriate to say in situations and what it isn't appropriate to report that we have learned or observed. <coughs> this can frequently occur in Christian circles in the form of prayer requests or items for prayer, during which time believers spread false information, sometimes, sometimes true information, oftentimes information that other people do not need to know about, which is harmful. Gossip oftentimes occurs because people cannot think of anything better to say. Oftentimes we're in a situation where we feel uncomfortable because there's silence. And if it gets silent long enough, you just feel like you have to say something. And so we say something and say the wrong thing. And you and I have to recognize not only our fault in being people prone to gossip, but gossip also frequently occurs because those who are listening do not stop it from happening. <clears throat> False testimony can also be included with innuendo and faint praise. <clears throat> faint praise. Someone says something positive about another person. Oh yes, he does know how to do that rather well, doesn't he? <laughs> It's often the intonation, innuendo, faint praise. By how you say it, what you say, you can bring about false testimony. Gossip, as I mentioned this past week, is also include, or excuse me, false testimony can also include complete silence. By our permitting false testimony to stand, we are committing no less of a sin than saying it. But we must recognize that permitting false testimony to stand is the shelter of weak men and women. False testimony against a neighbor includes refusing to testify in such a way that a false testimony is upheld. It sort of gets kind of confusing. The people, we oftentimes, others, we hear others, sometimes we ourselves are guilty of saying, oh no, 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 I'm not getting involved in that. When that happens and what we are refusing to get involved in is to uphold the integrity and character of another, we are guilty of false testimony. Now we need to look further and to see that there is no such thing as a harmless little lie. 
These things have a way of turning on their ends. Those who will bear false testimony will use it against all and sundry. For a critical mouth cannot stop itself. An example of this is given when Jesus spoke of the Pharisees and their criticism of him and criticism of John the Baptist. What he said to them was, he said, you told John the Baptist to dance, and he wouldn't. So you hated him and spoke against him. And now you hate me and speak against me because I am out dancing, figuratively speaking. I'm doing a terribly loose paraphrase here. But he said, I am out doing those things that you couldn't stand John the Baptist for doing and maligned him for doing, and you malign me because I'm doing them. A corollary to this is that those who lie for you will also lie to you. Jude 1.16 says, These men are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and they flatter others for their own advantage. Oftentimes when we are on the receiving end of flattery or when we are brought into a lie of another, we think to ourselves, oh, that's great. Well, I'm, I'm proud to be included with this in this, in this person's deception or, or included in this person's flattery. And so we are happy. We're glad. We're glad to be on the inside of things. But we have to constantly remind ourselves, if we or others will flatter people for our own advantage, then, of course, we can as easily and quickly slander them. We can as easily be flattered by the people who are our friends as slandered by them. And so we must remember that false testimony is something that we never want to be on the inside of, even if it's false testimony to our advantage, because it will turn. Is there a time for negative words that is not false testimony? Absolutely. Many Christians frequently use the passages in Scripture that speak specifically of not judging one another as indicating that we are never to speak harsh or difficult words to one another or about one another. James 4.11 They would understand this this way. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. These passages in Scripture clearly do not mean that we as Christians are never to have a negative word. Listen to the following. 2 Timothy 4.10 For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. 1 Corinthians 5.1 It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you of a kind that does, doesn't even occur among pagans. A man has his father's wife. Hand this man over to Satan. 3 John 1.9 I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. So if I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, gossiping maliciously about us. <clears throat> Divisive people divide people making enemies where there were friends, using false testimony to destroy relationships. Proverbs 16.28 says, A perverse man stirs up dissension, and a gossip separates close friends. 
peace is found where there is not gossip. <coughs> there is a place for negative words to be spoken, as long as it's not false testimony. One of the places for negative words to be spoken is to point out false testimony. <coughs> you and I must beware of divisive or divisive people. People, for instance, who tell stories about others. People who repeat bad things others have said or done. People who cannot keep their mouths shut, but always tell what they know, what they think, or have been told. People about whom you can say there is not an unspoken thought they have ever had. People whose chatter and actions result in enmity in relationships between other people. Proverbs says, has a lot to say about divisive people. In 22.10 it says, Drive out the mocker, and there goes strife. In other words, when the mocker is gone, when the person of false testimony is gone, then the conflict and the friction is also gone. Quarrels and insults are ended. Proverbs 17.9 says, He who covers over an offense promotes love. But whoever, in other words, when there's a problem... The person who covers it over is promoting love. But whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Ah, oh, did, did, you, did you hear what he said about you? Did you realize that what he did... Do you, do you understand how what he thinks about you based on what he did? These are the sorts of things that divisive people do. <clears throat> we are to warn divisive people... If it continues, we are to rid ourselves of them. <clears throat> Titus 3.10 says, Warn a divisive person once and then warn him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with him. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. <clears throat> we must be as wary of those who spread information which is not theirs to spread or is untrue <clears throat> as we are of thieves or murderers. Because gossip as quickly steals a man or woman's reputation and assassinates his character as it is spread from mouth to ear. <clears throat> when people have set themselves to achieve their ends by lies and by falsehood, there is nothing that will stop them. They cannot see the truth. The example of this is in the trial that the Sanhedrin and the chief priest brought Jesus to. They started out that trial, if you remember, by sneaking out and finding him when he was with his disciples. They used a traitor, a betrayer, Judas Iscariot, to get Christ. He got him with a kiss. They bound him and they took him in. And then they proceeded to parade a bunch of false witnesses against Jesus. And in the midst of all this, what happened was Jesus was beaten, even though he was innocent. <clears throat> and lies just continue to be told about him. You and I must realize that, when, that, the, that the method is as important for us to examine as the words that are spoken. What do I mean by that? In this trial, frequently things go with lies that indicate that what you are hearing are lies. I don't know if that makes any sense. This trial was a kangaroo court. This trial of Jesus was a kangaroo court. And therefore, if it was a kangaroo court, you could expect to find lies there. Scripture tells us that 
lies keep company with all sorts of other evils. And so if you and I are questioning whether or not what we are hearing in situations or circumstances for, from particular people is true or not, oftentimes all we have to do is look at the surrounding circumstances and say to ourselves, if it looks like a skunk and it smells like a skunk, then it is a skunk. <laughs> it's very likely in this circumstance that what I'm hearing is a lie because the way that I am hearing it, the circumstances surrounding it are unjust and unrighteous. <clears throat> are lies fair in war? Is it fair to tell a lie in war? This is one of the theories that is propounded about the Old Testament. For instance, Rahab lied, right, about the spies. Oh, no, they're not here. Oh, go down the road. They're, they're, they're headed that way. Go after them. <clears throat> and when David was fleeing from Absalom, he asked his friend and counselor Hushai the Archite not to come along with him to provide him with counsel, but instead to go back and greet Absalom when he came victorious into Jerusalem. Because he said, please do whatever you can to foil the counsel of Ahithophel, whose counsel is always right, and he is on Absalom's side. So Hushai went back, and it was as a result of the fact that Hushai gave false counsel, twisted what would be best in the circumstance, Absalom followed Hushai instead of Ahithophel who gave the true counsel and as a result the false counsel was the means which God used for David to defeat Absalom I don't know you know um, one of those situations people frequently say what would you do if you had been the Ten Boom family Corey Ten Boom's family and there were Jews hiding in your attic and the Nazis came in and they said, do you have any Jews hiding in your home? What would you say? <laughs> I'm honest enough to say it's, it's, it's um, enough of my sin nature that I'd say, Jews here! They might be next door! <laughs> well, that, many of us would say, well, that's not a lie. <laughs> but we've caught ourselves on that as well. Because a lie is anything that's an attempt to deceive. No, I didn't say there's no one here. This is something that I think that each of us has to deal with with our God. If we're in a situation like that, I... Uh, <laughs> you know, Rahab became one of, the, one of the ancestors of Christ as a result of this choice that she made and a significant lie that she told in the midst of it. So I cannot tell. What is right? What must we do? We must tell the truth. We must keep our word. One of the things my father always said about my mother was <clears throat> he had never known her to tell a lie. And that always impressed me. And, and I don't know if I ever looked more closely at her because of it. But <clears throat> it was... It was I guess it was always something that encouraged me to know that my father believed firmly in the integrity of my mother. We must be people who tell the truth and keep our word. <clears throat> you and I must also keep secrets. 
<clears throat> Proverbs 11.13, the first part says, A gossip betrays a confidence. The latter part is the beautiful part. A trustworthy man keeps a secret. That's not just for the secret service, the military, all these sorts of things. Every single one of us knows things about others and situations that must remain in our minds alone. <clears throat> you and I should slander no one. Now this is making the point on it, even the devil. In Jude 1 verse 8, it speaks again of these men who are liars and who are deceivers. And it says that they even speak slanderously of the devil. And this passage tells us that even the archangel Michael refused to speak slanderously of the devil. Which means that false testimony against other people or persons is something we must never be involved in. You and I must be overly cautious about imputing motives to others. Frequently, this is where false testimony and gossip gets involved, isn't it? We look at what someone did, and we say to ourselves, hmm, now why in the world did he or she do that? Well, let's see, I can think of about four reasons. Mm, they didn't do it because of this. They might have done it because of that, but no, that, would, that just doesn't seem very likely. And all of a sudden, we come to the reason why they did it. And having come to the reason why they did it that way, then we feel free to let other people know why the person did this and our expert interpretation of why they did it. That's false testimony. Now, oftentimes we must consider people's motives involved in things in order to figure out what their tendencies and character are made of. But it should not be the means of our bringing condemnation against other people time and time again. Those things that we don't, can't see and we don't know. Motives. <clears throat> you and I also must plan for the worst. The Bible speaks of many different means for holding people to their word and reminding them of their commitments. And what we are told in the Bible reminds us that serious matters deserve tangible evidence of commitment. Can you think of any of these situations given to us in Scripture? Communion is tangible evidence of commitment. Baptism is tangible evidence of commitment. Weddings are tangible evidence of commitment. <clears throat> Why should we use tangible evidence? Because people can break their word, people can forget their commitments and promises, or simply disagree on what the agreement was. What do we need to have? We need to have witnesses and contracts. Witnesses and contracts. In Scripture, it speaks specifically of witnesses to marriages. Why? Because people frequently forget or try to get out of their commitments. We're all like that. <clears throat> we need to have contracts as well. In Isaiah 8.16, it says, Bind up the testimony and seal up the law among my disciples. That verse there is speaking both of witnesses and contracts. Bind it up, seal up the law, and have it sealed among my disciples. There's people and there's paper involved in this. Jeremiah 32.10, I signed and sealed the deed, had it witnessed, weighed out the silver on the scales. We as Christians frequently tend to be disingenuous. 
We walk into situations and we think that other people are going to be as honest as the day is long. If we understand what the Bible tells us so clearly, we understand that everybody is depraved. Sin is in everybody's nature, and therefore we will all try to get the better of any deal we're involved in. So we must use biblical means for holding people to their word and commitments. We should also follow strict rules regarding testimony against people. Scripture gives us many of these rules. Scripture gives us rules for evidence against a brother. Evidence and witnesses must be examined scrupulously in seeking to clear the one charged with wrong. In a murder case, there must be at least two witnesses in order for the one charged with murder to be condemned and executed. (coughs) In a case of a person's property being borrowed and then, well, say under the care of a shepherd, Exodus 22.13 says, if the animal that a man brings in was torn to pieces by a wild animal, he shall bring in the remains as evidence and he will not be required to pay for the torn animal. Evidence again. Since we're not required to accept things based on people's word. We should hold each other to evidence and to witnesses. We are also told in Matthew 18, 16, that we are to establish charges against other people with more than one person hearing, so that it's not one word against one, but it's several people saying, this is the situation, this is how I heard it. They can put their wisdom together and seek to change the person's mind, but if they don't, that there are people who can say together, this is what happened. There's given to us in Scripture strict rules regarding testimony against a leader. 1 Timothy 5.19, Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. There's given to us evidence in Scripture about what we're to do with false witnesses. A false witness was always punished by the punishment that he was trying to get the person convicted of doing. That's interesting, isn't it? Um, This would be a little bit of food for thought. Evidence against a leader. More than one person. Why so many laws? Because God knows... Our frame, he remembers that we are dust. He knows how easy it will be for you and me to sit back and say nothing rather than get ourselves involved in a case against an innocent man. He knows how tempted we will be to tell a lie that will have terrible repercussions against someone else because we want to help another person. Not only should we plan on the worst, we should assume the best by refusing to believe evil against others unless it is proven. We should pray for discernment to be able to identify lies and liars because it takes God's wisdom to figure these things out. We need to pray for God's wisdom in guiding our tongue so that we do not chatter and tell things that we shouldn't tell. And we need to help one another put away strife and live at peace with each other. Now, this is a scary thing. It's something that we've talked about and looked at in Scripture before. It's a fearful task getting in between two or more people in order to try to make peace between them. Because the words fly fast and furiously, and oftentimes we can be the ones who wind up getting stung. 
Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. In Philippians 4, 2, Paul writes to the people, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. You and I must not only refrain from telling lies and listening to them, we also must seek to be the people who go in on the battlefield of lies and seek to bring about peace between people so that the lies come to an end. Let us pray. Dear Father, teach us these lessons. We need them on a daily and hourly basis. Help us to learn what we need to learn in order to be people who honor our commitments, who tell the truth, and who help others honor their commitments and tell the truth. In Jesus' name, amen.